0: where you had the box and you open it up and you are all excited. And when you remove the top, everything is in pieces. As you look at it, well, you're excited because it's actually a puzzle. And so it's supposed to be in all sorts of pieces. But then you spend all this time putting this puzzle together. Maybe it's a thousand pieces or 500 or maybe like your max is the 24 piece puzzle. And so that's what you do. But you put this puzzle together and after spending whether minutes or hours or days putting this puzzle together, you realize that there's a missing piece. And oh, the frustration because it is not complete. You've spent all this time and you have to decide, what are you going to do? I mean, it's missing this piece. And so maybe you're one of the people that you are one that that calls the company and you're like, hey, I want this extra piece. Uh, Something you would be like, that's crazy. Uh, My grandparents would sometimes do puzzles. There were like eight to 12,000 pieces and then they would put it up on the wall and so they would be ones that would call saying, hey, we need this piece so that way it would be complete. But I was just thinking, about this idea of the puzzle, that we we love the completion after all of our work, and in the same way, like as we're talking about finding and following Jesus, when we find him and we begin to follow him, Jesus wants all of our life, like every single puzzle piece. He doesn't want us to hold back certain pieces going, well, this is still for me. He wants it all. But in the same way, not only does he want all of our lives given to him, but he cares about every piece of our lives. There's not an aspect that he's like, oh, well, that's important to you, but that's not important to me. You see, because he loves us and something's important to us, like he cares about that. And so we give him every piece of the puzzle, and he also then transforms us in every way. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the different puzzle pieces of our lives that we offer to him and that he also transforms us in. And so today we're talking about this topic of marriage. And marriage, and so this is one of the things that God wants to use in our lives if we choose to be married or he wants to transform us using our marriage. And so shortly after everything was created, we see that God instituted marriage. He designed it to be a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. And it definitely seems that anyone who holds this viewpoint that the Bible is God's word and therefore we're supposed to live according to its standards in this idea of sexuality or gender or marriage, it seems like we're having to walk upstream in today's culture. And I know even for some Christians, this topic can be a difficult one. Like we hear messages that, well, love is love. Or arguments about fairness and equality, or that each person gets to make their own decision. And one of the beauties of this world is that God gave all of us free will. We all get to make the choices on how we live, but we also need to understand that that doesn't mean that every choice that someone makes is a right choice. Even the pragmatist's argument that says, hey, look over here, I see it working in this situation— That doesn't prove anything, but you see God, who is the creator of all, is the one that designed what marriage looks like, and He's the one with the final say. And I don't want you to think, well, this is just Andy's opinion, or it's some archaic tradition that has been passed down through the generations, but it comes straight from the Word of God. Right when you open up the Bible, the first book, Genesis, it's talking about this is what marriage is. And then even in the New Testament, you see Jesus coming in and he points back to it, confirming this is what marriage is. This is the truth. And I will tell you this straight up front. If you don't agree that this is what marriage is supposed to look like, I want you to hear that that doesn't mean that you don't have a place here. Like, sometimes people will hear something from the stage, and they're like, well, if I don't agree with that, like, I don't belong here, and that's not true. Like, at South Rock, we want you to be here. God's love is for everyone. We don't want to set up any kind of barriers to the connection between His love, but at the same time, I will tell you that we're going to continue to follow the Word of God. And as each of us find and follow Jesus, He works in us individually to bring us closer to Him. And to make us more like him molding our hearts and molding our minds and then the more that we come to know him and the more that we spend time in his word and looking for answers and looking for guidance that's when he transforms us and if this viewpoint of marriage is a struggle for you like i want you to think about this question How much time and energy have you spent with God in His Word on this topic? How much time have you spent with Him on this topic? Like sometimes we feel different struggles within our feelings, or we see the worldly logic and we're like, well, maybe I could kind of understand some of those things. Maybe we just spend a lot of time thinking about this, or we know someone and so the struggle is real, but we spend so very little time actually in God's Word looking for answers, And because of that, the feelings or the arguments of this culture about marriage can sometimes win the battle in our hearts and our minds, if we allow it to. But as we talk about this idea of marriage and how God created it, I hope you understand that, like, following His design is not meant to be a burden whatsoever, but instead a blessing things that he wants to to bless us with. And I'm not talking just about the definition of this idea of one man and one woman for life, but I'm even talking about how we live within that marriage. He wants to bless that. Few things bring us more joy than a good Christian marriage. When we experience the partnership and the love that comes to exist within that marriage, there is a flourishing that occurs. Now, make no mistake. It definitely takes work. It's simply not true that you fall in love and just stay in love. But just like in most areas of life, the things that mean the most to you are the things that you had to work the hardest for or the things that you had to struggle through, but you came out on the other side. And so a good marriage, it takes work. And ultimately, it takes work from both spouses, not just one side. But again, that's part of the work that God does. And every single one of us as we follow Him, and if we choose to be in a marriage. Like, He comes alongside to help us, one, with our responsibilities that we have for our spouse, but He also, not just the carrying out, but also the understanding and the desire to fulfill those responsibilities, He works inside of us. And so, I want to look at three passages this morning, all in a row that speak to the roles of if you are a husband or you are a wife, this is what you are supposed to do. This is what you are called to do. And so our first passage is found in Ephesians chapter 5. It starts at verse 21. It's a pretty big chunk, but I want you just to listen here. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. "...without stain or wrinkle or other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the, the wife must respect her husband. And so you'll hear some similarities here, but if you were to turn in your Bibles or you'll have 1 Peter chapter 3, this is what Peter writes to wives and to husbands. He said, wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands, uh, or yeah, submit to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right, and you do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your par- your prayers and then our third passage is a lot shorter in the book of colossians chapter 3 there's just two verses and it says wives submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the lord and it says husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them you see from these three passages Paul and Peter, they address the husband and they say, you are to love your wife. You're to be considerate of your wife. You're to treat them with respect or honor. And you're not to be harsh with them. Or, depending on your translation, you're not to become bitter with them. So let's take a closer look at each of these responsibilities. The first is love. Love your wife. This type of love is the Greek word agape, which is an unconditional type of love. It is not a feeling It is active, even in those moments when you don't like the actions of someone, and yet you still choose to love them. It is wanting what is best for the other person. That means sometimes setting my own wants aside to lift another up. It is sacrificial in nature, and love, when it is displayed properly, is so powerful. He also says, be considerate which you could say is one aspect of love. But if you're being considerate, it means that you are aware of the needs of your spouse. You're aware of the situation that you're in, and so you try to make the best decision in the moment. Sometimes that means leading through a choice that both of you have to make. Sometimes it means giving her a listening ear where you're not trying to answer the problem, trying to solve it for her. Sometimes it means looking for a way to display her talents, And her personalities. Sometimes it means not asking her to do something that you can do yourself because she is already being pulled in so many different directions. You see, being considerate of your wife shows that you care, which can mean so much more in the moment that the words simply just say, I love you. You show it with your actions. They also say, husbands, treat your wife with respect or with honor. And so my question would be, how do you view your wife If in any way, because the Bible talks about you being the leader, you think that you are better than her, you ought to ask God to work on your heart right now, because that's not how God set anything up. As a husband, God is giving you the responsibility to lead, but with that leadership comes responsibility of lifting her up and telling her how thankful you are, not just for the things that she does, but because of who she is. And I wonder at home, how many of you guys have that set of dishes that you only bring out when visitors are there, you know, that special set? And I'm not talking about like the paper ones that you can just throw away. Okay. Like, I'm talking about that one that, man, this is important or whatever. Or I want you to think about those special memorabilia that you have in your house that you're displaying from your past because it was important. Or maybe those things that are super expensive that you don't even touch. And I want you to think about those things. We handle them with care because they are so special. And so let us make sure, husbands, that we're treating our wife with honor because she's special. And make sure that you don't just take her for granted. We're also told not to become harsh or, depending on your translation, this idea of don't become bitter. And I wonder how often do we allow the frustrations of our day just to spill over and we take it it out on the person that we care the most about. Or maybe we let the little things within our marriage keep building up, but we never address them until just, whew, they all come out at once. Or maybe they never end up coming out, but we live with this moment of just harboring resentment towards our spouse. You see, when our hearts are filled with those types of things, it can be difficult to love the way that we're called to love. And so take a look at your actions, but ultimately look at your heart because that's what then affects your actions. And don't let bitterness or harshness define you in your marriage. So husbands, when you choose to fulfill these responsibilities to the best of your abilities, and not just to the best of your abilities, but you come alongside and ask Jesus for strength and wisdom and leadership and even compassion, and then you allow Him to help you do those things, it will aid in the goodness of marriage. But wives, you were also talked to, said from those passages that we read a while ago, this big idea of submit and this idea of show respect to your husband. So let me start with submit. I read an article this week that kind of had this little meme on it that said, submission is not a four-letter word. Because sometimes in our culture, man, they make submission out to being someone who's only a yes person. And you don't get to have your own opinion or your own identity. But that's not accurate at all. Submission is not pure servanthood or in any way inferior or degrading. It does mean that I'm not going to have this constant attitude where I'm trying to resist the desires or the leadership of my husband. But living with submission, it helps your husband to become the man who God made him to be, and it helps the partnership to be more peaceful and content. You are able to show a support that he needs at, to, be, to best succeed, As you display your strength of character in being a helper, that doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Your wisdom, your intuitions are invaluable to helping both your husband and your marriage flourish. And they also say respect. And we already talked to husbands about not taking their wives for granted. The same thing should be said for wives too there are a lot of husbands who are giving extreme effort to be that husband, to be that father, to be that provider. And so he's being pulled in these different directions as well. Here's something to understand as well. There's quite a few men who find their value in what they do, in the things they do. And so one way that you can show your husband respect is to compliment some of the things that he does. It will go a long way in encouraging him and showing that he's important to you. In any case, you use words to lift up, not words to tear down or to nag. And as you do that, your husband will feel valued. Now, even saying that, I want to make this quick point for both husbands and wives, that your ultimate value does not come from your husband or your wife. It comes from God. And you also cannot expect your spouse to meet all of your needs because only Christ can do that. But when we fulfill the responsibilities that God has given us within the roles of marriage, it allows that marriage bond to grow stronger. It helps each individual to become more confident and secure because of that relationship. And as we're talking about following Jesus through this marriage relationship, He doesn't again just give us the strength to carry out that task, but He works on my heart to help me to want to do those things. Because I can guarantee That very few moments do you actually feel like doing the dishes? Or do you really feel like weeding the flower bed or fixing a toilet, especially if it's been a long day at work or a long day of parenting? Like, that's just not what you're like. That's what I want to do. But God continues to work on our hearts to help us want to serve the other person. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it said that our attitude to do all of these things comes out of a reverence for Jesus Christ. And so why should I love my spouse? Well, first off, because I'm choosing to love God. Like, why should I show respect? Well, because I'm following Him. Why submit or honor or anything else? I mean, yes, there are benefits as I treat my spouse correctly that come back to me. And man, there is joy as you get to watch your spouse thrive because you have come alongside and nurtured them as well. But ultimately, I do what I do out of reverence for Christ. And I'm reminded of a powerful scene in the movie called Fireproof. It's come out quite a few years ago, but in this movie, there is a marriage that has been falling apart for some time, even though the two people in it have not really been addressing the needs and both choose to blame the other person, but love and respect have not been present. But due to certain circumstances, the husband is challenged. Don't give up on the marriage yet, but spend some time really loving your wife. And so the husband, he goes through the motions for a little while. But the wife, who is definitely not helped by a whole bunch of her friends who are telling her ungodly advice, she finally just tells him, I do not love you. She's also enjoying the attention from another man at that moment. And so the husband, he's ready to throw in the towel. Like, he's like, it's done. But his dad comes and speaks with him the next day. And as the two of them are talking, his dad asks this question. If I were to ask you why you are so frustrated with your wife, what would you say? And it doesn't take him long to respond. He says, she's stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. She hasn't thanked me for anything I've done the last 20 days. And you'd think after I washed the car and I changed the oil and I did the dishes and I cleaned the house, she would at least show me a little bit of gratitude, but she doesn't. In fact, when she comes home, she makes me feel like I'm the enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home, dad. For the last three weeks, I've bent over backwards for her. I've tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I've bought her flowers, but she threw them away. I've taken her insult and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything that I could do to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this. I am not doing this anymore. How am I supposed to show love to someone over and over and over who constantly rejects me? And the father, standing next to a cross, just looks at him and says, that's a good question. That's a good question. And he goes on to tell his son that no one can love their spouse the way that they truly need to be loved without having the love of God in themselves first. Because no one can give what they don't have. If we really want to love our spouse, we have to fully understand love, completely understand love and accept that love that comes from Jesus first. And so we love our spouse because Jesus loved us, and we made a promise that we are going to love them always, not just in the moments that they deserve our love. And oftentimes, when we choose to spend moments praying for our spouse, God gives us a deeper love for them, no matter how they respond to us. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you that if you display all the godly traits within your marriage that you're supposed to, that your spouse is always going to respond the way that they should. But you know that I can't say that. Like there are a lot of circumstances where people's hearts are changed because of a spouse's consistency in loving their spouse the way that God wants them to. But as we go back to this idea of free will, some people will choose to never respond. But no matter what the other person decides, as Christians, we are called to love our spouse out of reverence for Christ. Now, we can't make decisions for them, but as we continue to choose how we live out those promises to love Him, God will bless that. And I'll tell you, as I was preparing for the sermon, I went over to my bookshelf and I just pulled off five different books that I had all about marriage. And a couple of them had some concrete and practical ways to show love to your spouse. And so maybe as I read these, some of those will be like, oh, I should do that. For instance, it says, don't badmouth your spouse. Hey, that's a good one. Okay, so don't do that. Said the idea of um, honor your spouse's special days. It talked about work to enjoy both your immediate family and your extended family. Talked about don't steal from your spouse or don't lie to your spouse. You need to learn to actively listen and not just say, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We need to relive the beautiful moments of life. It said, attack the problem and not your spouse. There was another book that I was looking through in Gary Chapman's book entitled Things That I Wish I'd Known Before I Got Married. And here are some of the chapters that they had it said that love or being in love is not an adequate foundation to build a marriage upon. It says how to solve disagreements without arguing. It says apologizing is a strength or a sign of strength. Or forgiveness, it's not a feeling. Toilets, they are not self-cleaning. Talks about you're going, to be mar- you're going to be marrying into a family. Said sexual fulfillment is not automatic. Or even spirituality is not to be equated with going to church. And these things, they can be good to know before you get married, but they can also be great evaluation tools. Like, let's talk about this in our marriage right now. There were two of the books that I pulled off the shelf that were written from the viewpoint of when their spouse was choosing not the godly options things of disrespect all the way up to affairs and situations that are happening far too often. And both of those books spoke to the hope that a person can have as they serve Christ and their spouse. Again, not able to choose for the other person, but again, affecting their own choices. I did come across one statement about marriage that has caused me to think for a while this week, and it said this, when friction occurs... It is typically because either the husband or the wife is drifting from God's design for them. Let me read that again. It said, when friction occurs, it is typically because either the husband or the wife is drifting from God's design for them. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think I fully agree on that. Although if you want to have an argument with me or discussion later, that's totally good. I do believe that there are a lot of struggles that happen because one uh, spouse is choosing to be in sin or maybe both. But there's also sometimes that friction occurs simply because of that bad day that we talked about that gets taken out on the wrong person. Or sometimes friction happens because you have two independent people, both who are created in God's image in this relationship, who simply may have different viewpoints on something. And so even as you're working it out, there can still be some friction. But I would tell you this, if in your marriage right now you're in a season of friction, I would encourage you to find out what is the foundation of this friction? What is the source of this friction? And don't just let it sit there and fester. As in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry because you don't want to give Satan a foothold. Like He would love to get that foothold in your marriage to be able to pull you apart instead of you working together as a team. But I would also tell you this, don't let all of it come out harshly Instead, seek to come to a harmonious conclusion that really does benefit the both of you. And as that happens, you experience a connection that other people miss out on because they're not willing to put in the hard work. So we've talked about this idea of marriage and following Jesus through our marriage. But Here's how I want to end. I want to answer some so what questions. Like, what exactly does this mean for you? Well, let me say first off. If you're one of those people that you had a marriage that did not go as planned, or maybe you even made some choices outside of marriage and you regret those past choices, understand you cannot change the past. Like we talked about that last week. But instead, we need to embrace the forgiveness that God offers to you, knowing that that is all-encompassing. God can take our past if we let Him, and He can transform us so that the story is an amazing one in the present and the future. Our God is a God of grace. And if someone told you that they didn't want you anymore, I want you to know that those words are ones that God will never say. Like He went more than to the ends of the earth to be with you. So I want you to know that you are loved. Secondly, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I'm single, and I don't know that any of this applies to me. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. Some of you are going to choose singleness, and this idea of marriage relationship is something that you're not going to experience. But I challenge you to use the places that God has you right now to show love, to show respect, to show honor to those who are around you. And some of you in this room, you hope that someday I will be married I would tell you, don't rush into marriage, especially if it's with the wrong person. Like, wait on God's timing. Keep your standards high, which can feel really tough in the moment, especially if you see a lot of other people getting married around you. But realize that more than likely, the person that you choose to marry, you will be with them longer than this season of waiting or season of who you're trying to find to marry. And if you choose poorly, just because you're in a hurry, like it can cause a lot of unnecessary pain. And so look for someone who loves God as much as you do. Thirdly, for those of you who are married right now, make sure that your mindset about marriage is correct. Like so much of what our culture says is it is all about you and your happiness. In fact, our own selfish desires can make us feel that way at times, too. But remember the purpose of marriage. Remember the benefits of loving and respecting someone else. Remember the joys that come with the permanence of having someone by your side. Let me ask this. Do you still have that same we are in this together attitude as when you first said, I do? Some of you would say, we're even stronger than we were, and that's fantastic. But if not, what is the first step that you need to take? I would challenge you that doing the hard work and letting Jesus transform both of you in that marriage is totally worth it. And then fourth and finally, realize that as God works in your marriage, you have an opportunity to display Christ to other people. Like even if someone's not a Christian, they want to have a good marriage and they might look at you as an example. And as we read in Ephesians 5, the relationship between a husband and a wife They show Christ's love to the church. And this way that you treat each other, the way that you lift up each other, the way that you work together, it can show the power of the gospel and the message of grace. God really can use your marriage to help someone else find Jesus. So helping people find and follow Jesus. Every puzzle piece of your life matters. And so give your marriage to Jesus. Ask God for help with your heart if you need that. Seek to put in the hard work, and He will use your marriage to transform you and to influence other people. But also remember this, that Jesus is the only one who fulfills all of our hopes. He is our bridegroom that has come to save us, and He is our living hope. And so as we come to our invitation time, if you need prayer about marriage, there's something in here that God's been working on your heart, or you just want someone to pray for you, or there's anything else in life, or even this idea of finding Jesus, what does this mean? And you want to have a discussion, then I'd encourage you to make your way to the decision point or to talk with Sam online. But let's worship this God who really is the one that meets all of our needs. Will you guys stand as we sing?